What's poppin' y'all? The year is 2011, and music industry revenues are at an all-time low. As a matter of fact, they were only going to continue to drop at the lowest being in 2014, with physical sales falling, and at the time, streaming not being a strong, viable option for revenues. As you can also see, Spotify numbers and their subscribers were incredibly low. They only had a couple of million at the most, and at this point in time, it was mainly just a European thing and had not even really spread through that region entirely yet. This was a very unique time period from around 2010 to 2014, if you were paying attention to how the business worked. Physical sales were declining of course, streaming revenues were barely even a thing, Pandora was the biggest at this time if I'm not mistaken, Tidal didn't exist, Apple Music didn't exist. But what was increasing were digital album sales that were not by streaming. This was mostly done through the iTunes store and the iTunes charts where people would buy songs or albums through that. But this era was the peak years of piracy. People weren't going to constantly buy a digital copy for every single album that released, especially if they didn't even know if they would enjoy it or not. The younger generation didn't want to deal with physicals very much either unless it was by their favorite artists sort of as a collector's item. So what happened other than just mixtape sites like Datpiff and live mixtapes crashing with nearly every big mixtape release was that albums were being pirated and spread like wildfire. Whether it was the Pirate Bay, BitTorrent, or just searching up the album name with RAR or ZIP at the end on Google and downloading it from a web Russian website like VK, that was usually the last link to get taken down, not that I know from experience or anything, people were becoming crafty with ways to get the music they wanted with less money and more convenience. There were dozens of sites now that would continuously upload all the new albums for free that were making tons of money just from the ad revenue due to the amount of traffic they were getting. This isn't even mentioning the huge issue with leaks. Physicals were still having to be shipped out and put in stores. And of course, this happens before the album is officially released. It needs to be ready on the release date for people to buy it in the store. And what would happen is somebody working at one of these stores would get their hands on a copy and upload it online, and it spread like wildfire. A massive size of the artist's audience would listen to the album a week or even more before it was officially released, and they were unlikely to buy it. So this caused a decrease in sales from that angle as well. It was a constant game of whack-a-mole with the record labels trying to take down every link that had one of their artist albums available for free download and thousands of people re-uploading them and spreading them over and over and over. The record labels were making less and less money and they started taking more and more percentages of artists touring, merchandise, and nearly everything else with 360 deals that were at one time left alone. They saw this as the only option to stay profitable because touring and merchandise was bringing in a massive amount of money, and they were investing in these artists with music videos, studio time, and promoting them only to barely sell any records, but here these artists are performing and selling merchandise, making tons of money. It wasn't fair, so they adapted. During this time, however, a young Chance the Rapper was in Chicago working on his debut project, Tende, that he was going to release in 2012. That would be the beginning of a revolution he was going to be the face of, free original music. He didn't start it as there were under other underground acts such as Bones and many others who were going this route, but he definitely got the most attention, and this wouldn't have been nearly possible without the help of his manager, Pat Corcoran. He's just going to be successful. Right now, I'm, I'm working for Chance and 
I'm gonna work for him until we have all the Grammys in the world and sell out the United Center and be on a world tour and make a million dollars a day or something like that. I don't know. But yeah, that's that would be dope. But who knows? Maybe I'll get fired. <laughs> and, and I want to thank God for putting amazing people in my life like, like Pete and Pat, who have carried me since 2012. Uh, I know a lot of... While in college, Pat created a blog, cvongenre.com, where he would feature local artists in Chicago and had an early relationship with the band Kids These Days, which consisted of most notably Vic Mensa and Nico Segal, or Donnie Trumpet. That was in Save Money. He started helping them out with everything he could and just tagged along under their manager for about a year without getting paid a single penny. He met Chance during a party he was throwing for one of the Kids These Days band members' birthday and then at the 10-day listening parties that Chance was throwing at streetwear shop in Chicago, and he was impressed by not only the music, but how he was able to perform for such a small audience and really bring such a high level of energy. They would become friends, and after some time, Chance the Rapper's father called Pat and asked him if he wanted to be his manager. The next thing he did was tell his parents that he wasn't going to school anymore, and they were really mad. They refused to let him drop out. They even had him go with them to these group counseling sessions. But after the counselor came in one session and told them that he had heard about the show at Lincoln Hall for Chance the Rapper that Pat Corcoran helped organize and promote that sold 500 tickets and sold out, his parents gave him a year to pursue this. And if it didn't work, he would have to go back to college. From the start, they didn't have this massive vision of being independent. It was only when they started getting calls to meetings and record labels, before acid rap was even a thing. This was still post 10 day. They started going to these meetings with the intent of just learning what the contracts were and figured out what being a signed artist even meant. Sylvia Rohn, who's currently the CEO of Epic Records, offered them a deal when they got to New York for a meeting in June of 2012. And they decided to meet more labels to see what there was out there. They met with RCA Records, Def Jam, Interscope, and this was also a time period when Obama was trying to get re-elected for a second term, and Chance's father was one of the people that worked very closely with him for his campaign. Chance didn't know what was going to happen if Obama lost, so he wanted to be in the position to provide for his family if things changed. This is why he really considered taking the first deal. But when Obama won, the pressure was off, and it was just a personal decision for Chance now. They were staying at the house that Donald Glover was renting in Malibu in the master bedroom closet, working on acid rap that was planned from the summer of 2012 when he got the pack of beats and didn't really start working on it till about January of 2013. A couple of weeks before it released, Chance the Rapper told Pat that he wanted to sell it, and he told him that not a single thing on the project was cleared, so that didn't happen. And they had to learn this the hard way because in January of 2013, they put out the song Juice, with the accompanying music video in New York City around Times Square that really took things to the next level with every blog and media outlet under the sun in hip-hop and even outside of hip-hop, indie blogs as well, posting about him. They had even put that single up for sale. This was Chance and his manager Pat Corcoran. But only a day later, their lawyer called them up and told them that the song had a sample on it. They weren't sure how big of a deal that was, but the sample was a John Lennon interpolation. Then the lawyer told them that they had to take it down right away from being sold or they would have to deal with the repercussions. So they did and just kept the project out for free. 
Once Acid Rap releases, Chance gets on tour with Mac Miller, then did shows with Eminem in Europe. They were having plenty of success and didn't feel the need to really sign with a label. But this meant they needed to build out everything. The booking team, press, business management, legal, and management. The first one they built though was the merchandise and they built it starting off at a local print shop with having most of the clothes being shipped out of Pat Corcoran's place. And after that, they released Surf on iTunes for free. Chance the Rapper became the champion figure for what an independent artist was in this new generation. He was being championed around everywhere by media outlets, was constantly calling out the industry, and wore it as a badge of honor. But what does being independent mean? And this is how Chance the Rapper described it in an interview with Joe Budden. To me, it means an artist's ability to own their masters, to own their publishing, to work everything in-house, and create their own team. That's to me what it means. But this still was not computing because Chance the Rapper had a song with Justin Bieber in the end of 2013, the biggest pop star in the world at the time. He was in commercials. He had this deal for an exclusive with Apple. He was in the NBA Finals commercials. He was also in the commercial for the Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. He was getting so much press, so it didn't compute when people compared him to other rappers they saw that were independent. He even admitted that he was the representation of this new independent. Even if there was an astronomical number that did benefit me, and like, there's like the craziest terms in the world that have never been done before, I'm at this point a beacon of that whole thing. And so everything is about, like I said, the narrative and how you're represented. So there's people in the industry that are not like Sylvia Rohn, that want to see this all fall apart so that they can prove that you need them in order to make it work. So I would say to anybody out there that's an independent artist, my number one pieces of advice, don't sign a record deal, don't sign a distribution deal, don't sign a publishing deal, don't sign a management deal. Hire the people that you need to work with you, pick out your goals and go get them done. And you can get them done and it'll work and you'll connect with your fan base and you'll make money and your rise will be as fast or as slow as you want it to be. This sounds great, but it's not necessarily true that your rise will be as fast or as slow as you want it to be as Chance says. I'm going to explain to you how it works. Any artist with some tick, that's Chicago slang for niggas know who they are, can call Apple before they release a track, whether it's them or their management or their agent or their label or whoever. They can call Apple and say, we want to be on the front page, we're about to drop. This is clearly not true, and Chance has been afforded so many luxuries that no other independent artist has been able to get. But that does not make his advice bad at all, or his message. Chance the Rapper's entire revolution was to get artists into a business mindset and basically build out a company. A lot of artists just have a manager, publicist, label, booking agent, business manager, and just let them do everything and then complain they weren't getting paid or someone was taking advantage of them later on because they traded the control over so they wouldn't have to deal with the headache of building it out. Because the truth is, most of these artists cannot build out a team. It's essentially a company with different departments and it was a great movement by chance because when you're releasing music for free, it lights this fire under your ass. It forces you to figure out, how am I going to make money? You already had to pay for studio time, pay for beats, the mixing, not only that, but pay with your time, all of this, and you're releasing music for free. So you're in the red now, just starting. And now you've got to learn business skills. 
He was pushing for artists to be able to be self-reliant and self-sufficient, but also wanted them to be able to spot different opportunities to make money than just our music, and also keep a lot of money, which is what Chance the Rapper did. But how did Spotify tear this apart, you might ask? Spotify currently has over 100 million paid monthly users, and music industry revenues have only gone up since Chance the Rapper came into the scene. As you can see in the chart from earlier, that light blue section with streaming has grown and grown with the majority of revenue for the industry coming from streaming nowadays, with platforms like Spotify and Apple Music being the two big guys. Isn't this a great thing though? How does it ruin what message Chance the Rapper was trying to push? Well, one is that Spotify nearly single-handedly destroyed pirating albums, a problem that the industry was playing whack-a-mole with for nearly a decade. And the reason for that, and it's impressive because it's just easier for people to pay $10 a month to get unlimited access to any song they want without it taking up storage on their phone than to have to continuously download these albums illegally, which is a hassle, and then store them on a hard drive and import them to their phone or whatever device they're using. Even people who don't want to pay for music just say, screw it, it's only 10 bucks, and it saves the hassle of trying to get all of these albums. The reason this didn't work before is because it was $10 per album, and that adds up quickly. But $10 a month for pretty much all the music out there at the tip of your finger was something even those who pirated nonstop could get behind. This brought in a lot more money and labels started signing more people since they knew they were getting money from them now. But this also led to many independent artists really eating off streaming money from Spotify and Apple Music, which is dangerous. More so dangerous like a double-edged sword. Bones, for example, had only kept his music on SoundCloud because he was really, really against selling music. But the consumers all had Spotify or Apple Music and his fans kept asking him and they really wanted his music and many others like him, including Chance, to put their albums and projects on those streaming services so the fans could listen to it on there because it was more convenient than having to go to SoundCloud to download them because they were already listening to the majority of their music on Spotify or Apple now. Eventually, they obliged. And this gave them another source of income since they never sold music before and were making streaming money now, but it wasn't a necessity. It was more of a bonus check for them. But then there are now plenty of independent artists who came up that make a good amount of money from streaming, but that's the only avenue that they make their money from. Signed artists are barely getting paid from streaming. That's why Taylor Swift was complaining back then. Their money comes from shows and merch still, amongst other things. But this weakened Chance's message because now these artists weren't building a business with a whole team. They were relying on Spotify and Apple Music streaming numbers as the sole income generator for them, which is dangerous because if they decide to cut the number that they give out to these artists, their income will fall. And it also removes that incentive that rappers like Chance the Rapper and Bones had of figuring out the best ways to make money as an artist since you were giving free music away. Just an example of how much independent artists can make, here's a short clip of Russ talking the checks he got monthly for an entire year just from streaming and nothing else. July 2015. You're about to see the results of putting out a song every week. So June 2015, we're halfway through the year. I'm making $600 in June 2015. July 2015, are you all ready? Because we're about to go fast. We're about to go fast. June 2015, $626 got made. 
July 2015, $1,100. August 2015, $1,500. September 2015, $3,000. October 2015, $4,200. November 2015, $4,600. December 2015, $8,200. January 2016, a year after I started doing the SoundCloud, $16K. February 2016, $18K. March 2016, $20K. April 2016, 45K. May 2016, 73K. June 2016, 100K off of TuneCore in the month. So, to recap, June 2015, I made $626. Um, June 2016, I made $102,000. But as you saw, as I mapped it out for you, it was gradual. So, I guess I was kind of fortunate because... This was how much he was earning in July of 2016, way before he was really popping and most people had heard of him, which wouldn't be until late 2016 and the early parts of 2017. Now, if an artist is earning 10K a month, or maybe even a bit less from just streaming, do you think they're going to have that fire in the belly to really build out the entire business like Chance the Rapper did? Hell no. The majority of them don't have the skill to do that anyway, and don't have someone like Pat Corcoran by their side that can make it happen. Russ was really disciplined, so even while he was making over 100000 a month from just streaming, he was pushing it with shows as well as his merchandise and keeping control, not signing to a record label and instead deciding to do a joint venture partnership with Columbia Records. Most people will say that streaming growing has allowed many artists to make more money than they had before, and it's a good thing, to which I definitely agree. But there's also a component of it that has left artists relying a bit too much on it now that didn't have to go through the struggle of the early 2010s when a lot of music was released for free and if you weren't signed to a record label you needed to really be about your business to make it happen and get some money which is something that a lot of artists today are missing a good example to illustrate how this could go wrong is the youtube adpocalypse of early 2017 before this, plenty of YouTubers were in a similar boat as music artists are currently. They were making tons of money from views on their content and thought that was fine and a business model, which it isn't. Some were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month just from views alone. But when advertisers pulled out, this money dropped, dried up, and many YouTubers started trying to scramble. Some attempted Patreon and failed, some had success, some quit entirely. But they never really built a business around the audience they had previously and just assumed things were going to keep coasting by. Also, the YouTube algorithm has changed multiple times and has tanked the views on many channels that were once very, very popular. But plenty of those had built a fan base, not just a channel, that would generate money through ads and accumulating views. Spotify has a free version with ads, but they have such a large user base of paying users that music artists don't necessarily need to worry as much, and Apple Music is entirely paid subscriptions. But we have seen this happen too many times to rely on a massive corporation to pay your bills, and expect that it will continue to do so at the same rate for the foreseeable future. The last thing a record label wants is for you to follow Chance's model, because if everyone did that, they wouldn't be in business. But the truth is, the likelihood of an artist even having the work ethic and long-term thinking that he and other rappers have is around 10%, and that's being generous. Most of these artists need their manager to just wake them up and get them to an appointment at the right time. If you enjoyed this video, then you should check out 
this one on your screen where I'm more critical on Chance the Rapper. They gave him some praise in today's video. So check that on your screen right now, and I'll see you there.